Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Saving on taxes sounds like a great idea, but is saving on taxes even better than making money? Welcome back to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast with J. Barry Watts and Eric Burleson of SavingYouTaxes.com, and they're going to address that subject right now. Welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement. It's good to be with you today, and I'm glad to have my broadcast partner, Eric Burleson, back in the studio with us. It's great to be back. Well, I know you've been busy. The governor's had you up in Jefferson City with a special session. And so it kept you from being here for the past few weeks. Did you get that all worked out? Yeah. So I'm back. I've left the cesspool of politics and have come back to reality. Well, welcome to the pure air of broadcasting about finance (laughs) and taxes. So, uh, hey, last night, before we get into talking about tax so much, last night, something kind of neat happened that I wanted to share with you. I wanted to tell you about a compliment that I got uh, at dinner. Would it be okay if I share that story? That'd be great. All right. Well, so here's what happened. I took my wife to dinner last night. So give me some points for that, if you don't mind. We walk into the restaurant and she's already seated and I'm getting ready to sit down. And suddenly I'm aware that there's somebody else in my presence, that this person has come up relatively close for me, close to me rather. And as I looked up, I recognized him as being someone who had hired us about eight months ago to do some retirement cash flow planning for him. And uh, we had done extensive analysis, I recall, uh, and we brought him a number of recommendations to improve his cash flow and reduce his taxes and protect his nest egg and deal with rising healthcare costs during retirement years and then be sure that his wife was taken care of when he passed away. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, he had failed to implement any of the recommendations that we'd brought to him. I, I kind of have an idea why. Why do you think that is? You know, I was, I know you knew this guy. I do. I do. And uh, very well. And I think, in fact, I was, I was studying, doing my morning uh, Bible study and this kind of hit me. And I think it's the same thing in the Bible. Jesus, one time he visited, he went back and visited the community that he grew up in and hometown. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but the people there, they really didn't, they kind of rejected his words and they rejected him as an expert because he was the guy that they used to Isn't he just change the carpenter's his diapers. Son? Right. And so I think oftentimes people think, in fact, I think in this case, they, this person knew us personally, knew us uh, locally and thought uh, they, they can't be as much of the experts as someone who is outside might be. And so and, and, and it's, it's not unwise to hire or get outside counsel, but, but I think that it was, it was good that we it confirmed that the, even the locals might know something. Well, you know what the definition of expert is, don't you? No. Uh, it's, a, it's a guy from out of town carrying a briefcase. Yes. <laughs> or a spurt under pressure. Yeah. Or former spurt under pressure. You I know, can't remember. I should probably quit telling jokes. I'm not I, that good at it. I've, I've, you know, I've worked as a consultant for years in, in, um, hospitals and, and sure. software. And we always would remark, it was, you, you would say something, but it was always the outside consultants, the, the ones that would, 
that were paid to come in, they were the ones that knew more than anybody. Well, so this guy went on to tell me the story. And in the process, what he said is, hey, I'm bringing all my business to you guys. Okay, well, that's a good start to dinner. And he wanted to tell me the story about how this had all come to be. And he said that after we had done our work for him, he had gone out and hired another certified financial professional. And he had paid them $2,500. And he asked them to make recommendations to him. But at the same time, he gave them the recommendations that we had prepared for him. And he asked them to improve upon the work that we had done. And he said that the other professional took what we had done and examined it and evaluated our work and ultimately told the client, I can't improve on what's been done for you. And he gave him his $2,500 back. And so the client said, I'm bringing the business back to you. So that's, it, that's good news. It, it is good news. And it, it, it's very gratifying because we work so hard to try to help people. And as you said, in this case, this was somebody who knew us in the community and uh, who maybe had decided, well, surely the, the guys from out of town who are more expensive are the ones that we ought to hire for this kind of work. And he found out that the guys from out of town who were more expensive told him that they couldn't improve upon the work that we had done. It's always great to have somebody reaffirm what, that what you're doing is, is good work. So well, I had a call just before I got here that reaffirmed uh -huh. a decision I made. Well, good. So as you know, we made a decision to purchase some land, mm -hmm. my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And just got a phone call on the way from someone who wants to make an offer before we've even closed on the property that we've purchased. Pressure. So, <laughs> yeah. So the question then becomes, are we on the right track? Did we, should we continue? And, and my response to the, to the offer was, well, how much more of an offer is it? <laughs> what I realized is a decision like this has huge tax implications because- it, it wouldn't be counted as a capital gain because it would be so, so short term, it'd be an income tax. Yes. And as you know, taxes are everything. That they are everything. Well, I'll be uh, anxiously awaiting to hear the decision that Angie makes on this because I know that uh, she and the girls will ultimately decide what you're going to do with that Ab particular you are right. piece of property. But uh, that's interesting. It's always fun when you when somebody wants something you've got. At least it makes it feel you feel makes you feel good about your purchase that you've made. So what I want to talk about today on the podcast is why saving taxes is better than making money. Did you know saving taxes is better than making money, Eric? Yes. Well, yes, but absolutely. do you know why? Because if you don't know why I'm about to tell you, I would love to hear it. All right, here's why. So the money that you save in taxes is money that you've already earned. You don't have to do anything to create that money. You don't have to do any more labor. You don't have to take any more risk. You don't have to pay any more overhead to create money that is already in your bank account. You simply need to take some steps that allow you to keep more of the money that you've already earned. And my contention is that keeping more of what you've already earned is better than earning more. And I want to show you why mathematically. So let's keep the numbers simple. This works whether we're talking about saving 10000 It works whether you're talking about saving a million dollars. But let's just use a round number. And let's say that you could take a step that would save you $100,000 in taxes. And we do see clients who have the ability to save $100,000 in taxes. Now, we see a lot of business owner clients who can't save that much. They can only save fifty. I had a veterinarian a while back who I believe saved seventy, if I recall. 
generally most of the clients we see can at least save 20,000 in taxes, but let's just say that this person could save $100,000 in taxes. Now that $100,000 is already in the bank account. They don't need to do anything to earn it. They just need to protect it so that it doesn't get paid out in taxes. Now let's think for just a moment, Eric, about what you have to do if you wanted to make 100,000 more dollars in taxable profit in your business. So you, instead of saving 100,000, you want to make $100,000 more. And let's say that your business has a 10% profit margin. 10% profit margin. So out of every dollar that comes through the door, a dime stays in your pocket. And Eric, do you have any idea what the profit margin is on uh, oh, other companies that people would know? Let's say, for example, a Walmart. I imagine it's pretty, pretty thin. Yeah, it, it's pretty skinny. Uh, Walmart makes between 2 and 3% net profit margin on everything that goes out the door. So, so when $100 worth of items go out the door in a basket, or well, that'd just be a small sack these days. But Walmart makes between 2 and 3 bucks on that $100 worth of items. Uh, when you fill up your gas tank, ExxonMobil makes about 3% in profit margin. Uh, now, the profit margin gets greater in technology companies like Apple. Their net margin is about 20% of every dollar that they take in. So that perhaps tells us if we're starting a company right. where we'd like it to be in the technology space where you used to work. Right. Now, early on, those startups, they're not making any profits. Well, yeah. But, that... <laughs> but, the, but when they become that cash cow... Uh, like Apple, they, yes, absolutely. They've got to, they've got to have tremendous margin in order to pay off the debts that they occurred during that, during that growth. In the startup period. phase. So let's assume that this person has a really healthy business that's giving him a 10% profit margin. So if he wants to make another hundred thousand dollars and he has a 10% profit margin, what top line revenue does he have to have? He's got to have a million bucks, million dollars. He's got to create a million dollars in new revenue coming through the door in order to have an additional $100,000 in profit. And oh, by the way, he's still going to have to pay the taxes on that $100,000 in profit. Right. So he I really- where you when you were going to get to that. <laughs> well, he really, if you'll think about it, he really doesn't have another $100,000. He really's only got about $60,000 after he pays those taxes. Right, right. So really we're talking about how it's better to, to save 100,000 in taxes than to make 60,000 in net profit if we were really doing that math. But we'll just pretend the taxes out of it just to make it really simple. So the question is, what's easier to go out and make a million dollars or to just save a hundred thousand dollars in tax? Yeah. Think about all those working years when it seems like you and your and your spouse are working hard and all of that money that you're making, it seems like you're making a lot, but very little actually grows in your savings account. And it seems to just grow slowly. Well, the reason is because you have so many expenses in your life and you've, you have to pay so much in taxes just to sock away a little bit of money at a time. That money that you have been able to put in that savings account is worth, is, is worth all of that time and all of those years and all that sweat equity amounts in what's sitting there in your savings account, which is why it's so important to avoid paying any additional taxes on, on the money that you've put aside. Well, in, in the case of this analysis where a person has to either earn a million dollars more or can just save $100,000 in tax, the question in my mind becomes, what do you have to do to earn a million dollars more in your business? So just think about the business you're in. What's it take to earn an additional million bucks? Well, that's more product that you have to put out the door or it's more service lines 
or more service calls that have to be provided. And in order to handle that product and run those service lines and put those employees or put those calls out and take care of people, it requires more employees to do that. And more employees probably means more headaches and more overhead in terms of paying for all the employee benefits that you've got. And those employees have to get to wherever they're providing the service or they have to deliver the goods. Oh, we're going to have to have more trucks and vehicles for those employees to drive. And by the way, we have to have a place to park those vehicles when we come back to the shop. And uh, we're going to need a larger parking facility for that. And if we're talking about product here, we're going to need a larger facility to hold the product. We're going to have to go rent warehouse space. So the point is, making another million dollars is complex. There's a lot of things that you have to do for most businesses and a lot of things that you have to add to make the other million dollars, as opposed to just saving the hundred thousand dollars that you could have paid out in tax. And at the end, it's the same deal, which is the easiest. Well, I would submit to you that it's probably a lot more difficult to make more money than it is to protect the money that you've already made. Now, I'm not against making more. I think you should make more, but it's foolish to try to strive to make more when you're letting what you've already made slip through your fingers, all because you haven't done proper tax planning. And at savingyoutaxes.com, that's what we help people do. Defend and protect the money you've already made by using proper tax strategies. Now, most accountants aren't trained in tax strategy. They don't have much experience in strategy. In fact, accountants are record keepers, and they're very good record keepers. The word account, accountant it comes from the word account, which means to keep an account, meaning to keep good records. It's up to you, not the accountant, up to you, the business owner, to create the business upon which the records need to be kept. And it's up to you, the business owner, to employ tax strategies that will change the records that are being kept so that your taxes can be lower. And once you've done that, then the record-keeping accountant will simply fill out the government forms for you. So uh, the big contention here is that it's always a lot better to save money in taxes than it is to try to make more money. And I'm going to share with you two or three ways that we might save more money in taxes. So let's talk about examples of tax strategies that most business owners don't know anything about. Tax strategy number one, Eric? An enterprise risk management plan. Very good. An enterprise risk management plan. Now, did you know every major corporation has one of these? All the Fortune 500 companies, all the S&P 500 companies have enterprise risk management plans. But you can have an enterprise risk management plan, even if you're not a large Fortune 500 company. If you're a small mom and pop operation, you can have a risk management plan. And you're allowed to put hundreds of thousands of dollars a year away into a plan like this, up to a maximum that's right at a million dollars a year. And whatever you contribute into this plan is tax deductible for you. It goes into an account to be used for low probability, high cost risks that may come your way. And so the point when we say low probability is we never really anticipate having to use this money to address these risks, but we would have it there if we needed to. So it's really just kind of like having a, a savings account in, in that way, but it's a savings account that you got to deduct all the money that you put into it. 
whatever you contribute into that account then grows and builds equity for you. And it can provide cash liquidity. If you don't use it for some risk in your business that you incurred, it can provide cash for life expenses or retirement or whatever you want to spend the money on. Now, this account can grow at market rates of return, protected from down markets, so that when the markets go bad, you don't wind up losing money just because the stock market went down by 40%. And then when you withdraw that money later, it can be withdrawn at tax rates that are as low as 5% or even a little bit less. And if you never wind up withdrawing and needing the money and it winds up just being legacy money that goes to your kids, it'll transfer to the next generation tax-free and those filthy money grubbers in Jeff City don't get their fingers on it. Yeah. Tax-free. Those are beautiful words. Well, and that's uh, the mantra that we live by is everybody ought to retire on tax-free income. So here's the point. If you are a business owner, you're allowed to have an enterprise risk management plan. And that enterprise risk management plan will allow you to put up to a million dollars a year away tax deductibly, grow that money, and then distribute that money at a very minimal tax rate to you later on in your retired life. And so we're going to do a whole podcast coming up in a few weeks on this topic alone. So the first strategy that most business owners don't know about is the enterprise risk management plan. The second strategy that we're going to talk about is the cash balance plan. All right. So let's talk about a cash balance plan. This is the type of plan that corporations used to offer back when pension plans were a really, really coveted thing. Now, in 1978, the Congress introduced something called the Revenue Act of 78. Pretty creative naming there. They've gotten, I think, more creative with the naming. And in the Revenue Act of 78, they introduced a new section to the Internal Revenue Code. It was called Section 401k. And I've heard of that. You've heard of that section now. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how your 401k plan just got named after the tax code? Yeah, if you decide to have more children, you may want to name one of them after the tax code. You know, the Hollywood stars are doing goofy things like that. So I suppose it could be good for a financial planner. This is my son, Mutual Fund. I don't know. <laughs> this is my, this is my, this is my daughter, Sep. <laughs> uh, this is my daughter, Sep, that would work. Or my daughter, this is my daughter, Deduction. Ooh, that yeah. has some mystery to it. All right, I'm, I'm way off topic here. I should get back to it, don't you think? So when I went to college, there was this aura that everybody knew and understood that said, when you graduate, you want to go to work for a really good company, big company, big name that has a big pension plan. Oh, yeah. But because of the Revenue Act of 78, the pension plans began to disappear and they were substituted with 401k plans, which were less costly to the companies to sponsor those plans. And so slowly over time, pension plans went away, companies quit providing them, and people lost them from their language. And so most people today don't even know that pension plans existed or don't know what they were or don't know how to get one of them. And what they don't realize is that if you're a business owner, you can establish one of these plans for yourself today, and it creates tax deductions for you. Now, here's who this works for best. First of all, you need to be a highly compensated business owner. Now, the word highly compensated is relative. But if you're only making 100,000 bucks as a business owner, this probably isn't something you're going to want to do. If you're making four or 500,000 or a million or a million and a half, this probably is something that you will want to consider. And where it works most beautifully is for people who have high earnings, 
but few employees, or in some cases, they don't even have employees. So if they do have employees, they're relatively low compensated employees. So we don't have any problem with what's called being top heavy. That's where they analyze a retirement plan and make sure that the employees are getting their fair shake, right. and that it's not all going to the fat right. cat at the top. Right. And, and so this kind of plan allows you to put away $200,000 a year, or maybe just a little bit more, all of it tax deductibly until you have accumulated in your account $2.3 million. And then you're done. That's the maximum that the government will allow you to put into it. And right there is a lesson for you. If the government limits something, why do they limit it? Because it's too good. Yeah. Yeah. They, they think this is too good a thing. Yeah, exactly. We, and we don't want you to have too much of a good thing. And you know, the government's kind of like your mother saying, no, mm -hmm. you can't have another piece of cherry pie. Right. That's why the Roth contribution is, is limited. It's another example, Roth IRA contributions are limited. That's exactly right. So this is a plan that we're going to dedicate an entire podcast to coming up, the cash balance plan concept. But you just need to remember that if you're a business owner, you can tuck $200,000 away into a plan like this, deduct all of it and grow that money for the future. And uh, that's something that most people are not aware of and don't realize they can do. And so they aren't doing it because nobody's bothered to bring it to their attention. So the first strategy that we talked about that's so important is an enterprise risk management plan. The second strategy is a cash balance plan. And the third strategy that we're going to talk about is the power of appointment to eliminate capital gains. The power of appointment to eliminate capital gains. Now, this is a kind of a hairy and technical one. But let's just say that you have a business and you're anticipating selling this business at some point in the future for $5 million dollars but you have what's called a very low basis in your business, meaning you've depreciated out all the real estate and all the uh, equipment, trucks, furniture, fixtures, and equipment is what the technical IRS term is for all of that. And so when you sell your business for 5 million bucks, you're going to pay a capital gain tax on that full $5 million. So you're going to give a million dollars of that money back to the government. Now, how much of the risk did the government take to create that business? No. How no. much of the sweat did the government put into that business? Nothing. How no. much of their livelihood did the government uh, assign to the bank just to protect the money that you borrowed on that business? Yeah, they didn't do anything. But when you sell that business, the government is going to take a million dollars out of the $5 million that you just sold it for. Well, they're not going to, if you know how to use the power of appointment to eliminate capital gains. So now this is a little bit unusual. So just hang with me in the thinking here. Let's assume that you have a parent who is elderly, but trustworthy, or God forbid that you have a spouse who is terminally ill and you expect to die in a, the short time frame. Now, the reason I said elderly, well, first of all, your parents are going to be older than you, obviously, but it, the point is these people are not expected to have a long life expectancy. They're, they're going to die at some point because their death is actually one of the things that triggers tax savings on your business. Isn't that weird? So what you can do is you can give that person a power of appointment over your business. Now, that means that they are technically capable of transferring your business to another party. So that's why I mentioned it was so important that I this really person want to trust that person. Yeah, this has got to be your mom, your dad, your spouse, some person who is not going to blow you up. It's got to be somebody you love. And there are a lot of clients we deal with who they don't have these people in their life and they should never do this. Now, in my case or in your case, Eric, I know we could trust our parents to do that and that would not be a problem. 
but you can appoint that person, give them a power of appointment over your company. And here's this little known tax fact. When that person dies, the fact that they had a power of appointment triggers a provision in the tax code that gives you a step up in the basis of your company. And now when you sell it, all of those capital gains will disappear. So it resets, it resets the depreciation. That's, uh, that's not technically the correct way to say it, but effectively, the way you and I understand it, yes, that's what happens. So now when you sell your business for $5 million, the cost basis on your business was $5 million. So technically, you have no taxable profit. Now, in reality, you had $5 million worth of capital gain. But technically, from a tax perspective, you didn't have that, and you don't have to pay those capital gains taxes. And we're going to offer that topic as an entire podcast coming up very soon here on The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Lots of great digestible information there, gentlemen. Thanks, Barry Watts and Eric Burleson of SavingYouTaxes.com. To subscribe to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast and get notifications of all the new episodes, simply tap the subscribe button on this page. You can also share with the share button. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.